We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as we bring you a new episode on a Monday, April 10th, 2023. We all hope that you had a wonderful Easter holiday as the Chicago White Sox wrap up this week. And when you look at the month of April, when we're looking at the 2023 season, a home series against the San Francisco Giants, then going on the road to Pittsburgh, when you look at the rest of April, this was supposed to be the easiest week for the White Sox. It didn't turn out to be that way. They end up going 2-4 and four in these six games. They are 4-6 and six right now to start the 2023 season. It's not all doom and gloom. There is some good that we're going to be touching on during this episode. There is some bad that definitely needs to be addressed and addressed soon for the Chicago White Sox before this hole that they have dug themselves gets any deeper in the month of April. And it doesn't get any easier for the White Sox as they now travel from Pittsburgh to Minneapolis to face the Minnesota Twins for three games against their division rival to kick off this upcoming week. And we will also be previewing that series. But helping me along, of course, is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. The co-host of the podcast is Jim Margulis. And Jim, I hope you and the family had a wonderful Easter. Did you do anything special, like any special egg hunts uh, with Minnie Margulis? Oh, no, he's too young for that. So just, but we spent a lot of time outside. Great weather. So... Yeah, a lot of walking, which is fine by me. Happy Dingus Day, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Polish holiday, day after Easter, yes. which uh, the beer garden, back when I lived in upstate New York, would throw a big party on Dingus Day. That's awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if it bounced back from, I moved uh, in 2020 and you know it got canceled the next two years. I'm not sure if it's all the way back, but always a blast. If you wanted to see middle-aged people just completely hammered on the middle of a Monday, that was the place to be, like... Yeah, just uh, the polka, live polka bands, uh, uh, people dancing with people they don't know. Great times. That does sound awesome. You guys are going to have to hit me up. I don't know of anyone that does that at Chicago. And, I mean, Chicago has a huge Polish population. I, I know of the concept, but I don't know of anyone 
that celebrates it that hard, like the bar that you used to go to in upstate New York, having a Polish band and the dancing and everything. Buffalo has like a huge celebration. And huh. so that's what that's known for. So when Troy started having one, they would sell shirts that said the nation's fastest growing dingus <laughs> as a way to market it. Um, and like to take shots at Buffalo. So a little bit of upstate Western New York rivalry, but yeah, like I hadn't really heard of it in Chicagoland growing up passing references to it, but in terms of celebrations, but upstate New York, they turn into kind of like a, a Mardi Gras on the other side, like uh, okay. Easter's over, Lent's over. Um, yeah. No sacrifices. Got it. Okay. Did not know that. That's pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately, let's talk about some White Sox baseball. There's, there's a lot going on, especially with what happened in Sunday's game. And it is capturing the attention nationally for major league baseball. And I was driving out to family for Easter, future family to be specific. When this play happened, I got out of the car. I didn't hear it on the radio. I caught the highlights while flipping through Twitter. And that is Yohan Makata making a good defensive play, cutting down O'Neill Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates at home plate. There's a collision between Cruz and Sebi Zavala. Sebi Zavala gets upset because he doesn't know what Cruz is doing. And when I'm watching the highlight video, Jim, I understand from Zavala's point, like I don't know what the game plan is here for Cruz. And now terrible news coming out of Pittsburgh that O'Neill Cruz has a fractured left ankle. So he seriously injured himself in this play. There's a lot of Pittsburgh, a lot of Yinzers that are upset with the Chicago White Sox. There's a lot of White Sox fans having no idea why Yinzers are angry at their baseball team. This is going to be talked about all morning around all the networks as far as I cover Major League Baseball, and it'll be talked about a lot in Pittsburgh radio. Help me out, Jim. What am I missing here? Why has this become such a big deal? I don't know. I, I went to the Pittsburgh feed, you know, after like the next inning just to see, because I know Pittsburgh's broadcast, you know, from what I understand has a reputation for being like a little bit homerish, like above average, you know, not necessarily a comparison to Hawk or anything like that when, when he is with the White Sox, but just, you know, somebody, you know, a, a broadcast that could uh, maybe become a little bit whiny about things uh, disproportionately or, or, you know, with the pirates, especially like being a small market team. Like I think there's just been ample opportunities for them to complain. And, and if they have to complain, they can't complain about ownership. So they have to try to pivot in other ways. And sometimes they've gotten to weird rants, but I went over that feed just to see like, if they were, you know, what they were saying, were they complaining about Sebi Zavala and they were not, they said like, it's an unfortunate play. Uh, they call it like a baseball play said like nobody was at fault. So I guess like, if you're going to say they're homerish, they were, uh, they, they did not say that O'Neill Cruz slid really, really, really late or that it wasn't really much of a slide at all. My read on the play was that, you know, Cruz being six, seven, uh, the, the play being a bouncer to third, he was trying to use his frame to get in the way of a throw. Like he was trying to remain upright as long as possible, you know, kind of running on the inside of the line, trying to make a throw home difficult for Moncada which is fine, you know, smart, you know, using his, uh, you know, physical attributes to try to reduce the angles, which is fine. It just seemed to me that like he might, may have thought like the throw would have been closer or something like that. The throw beat him by plenty. And by the time like Zavala, you know, he had to like kind of leap up a little bit to get the ball and then come down like Cruz had no plan. Like 
like he's got a plan for the throw being offline or, or, you know, being wild, having it bounce, what have you. But like, he didn't have a plan for if Zavala was there waiting for him with the ball. And so like, he just, the processing was late. That was my read on it. It wasn't like uh, Cruz is going for a dirty play. It just struck me as like, he just did not have a plan after his initial plan. <laughs> and, uh, Got it. uh, but like, even like the Pittsburgh broadcast did not say anything, did not complain about Zavala, did not complain about Kopech, uh, you know, kind of getting into it with, uh, Santana. Uh, they were worried about Cruz getting trampled, you know, making sure that the, uh, scrum did not, uh, it did mind, I, I suppose the guy on the ground, but for a broadcast is kind of known for, you know, maybe getting touchy on certain subjects, subjects. They did not hold Zavala at fault at all. I mean, that's the way I saw it too, but I just wanted to see the Pittsburgh perspective just to make sure that like, I didn't have blinders on, but yeah. And then, then, you know, it goes around Twitter and like, I have the video of the Pittsburgh feed, which had very live field mics catching Zavala, uh, cursing at Cruz after the collision, not knowing like Cruz had fractured his ankle, not knowing he was hurt. It was just the immediate instinct of, uh, um, you know, uh, what are you what doing? The F was that? What the F was that? Yeah. Um, and just because it basically looked like he was crashing into his knee. And so like, you know, that circulated and then you have, uh, you know, partisans going back and forth in my mentions, which is always really fun. Just the, uh, you know, worst faith arguments and geographical slandering and whatnot, which is, which is wonderful. And then, you know, it gets out of hand after that. Yeah. But like I, you know, from, I, I kind of trusted Pittsburgh's broadcast to be the, you know, if they were going to frame it in a way that could indict Zavala, they might, and they had no inclination to. So I think it was like a clean play, unfortunate, like Cruz just, he did not slide on time or well. Or at all. And like, I don't think it was on purpose. I think it was just a matter of uh, trying to make something happen. And then when what he tried to make happen didn't happen, it was, uh oh, like, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do. Uh, maybe I should slide. But he did that like three steps too late. Yeah, it's unfortunate. He's an incredibly talented player. The, the replay looks very painful. Former White Sox and former major leaguer Mike Cameron on Twitter, his analysis caught my attention as well. He's like, why didn't he slide wide? Like you could start down the line, but as soon as you see Zavala setting up, you got to make a decision at that point. You're six, seven slide wide. You got to get past the catcher. Like you can't run through the catcher anymore. And yeah. it's just one of those fundamental ideas, but again, it's processing and it's happening in like milliseconds that you got to make this decision. And unfortunately Cruz was late in making that decision. There is a collision he is hurt. We do not know the time frame with his particular injury. It is a fractured left ankle. And again, he is one of the up-and-coming players in Major League Baseball. So it is very unfortunate. Pittsburgh Pirate fans are very upset at the Chicago White Sox for this play. Uh, but I don't think anyone did anything wrong. Even in the scrum, people getting upset, mad, whatever. It happens in baseball. Uh, but it was an unfortunate event. Yeah, it was kind of funny with the way it unfolded with Zavala cursing at Cruz and then Santana not liking what Zavala said, you know, coming from the on-deck circle. Kopech had to, like, it was kind of like the reverse roles where Kopech had to be the peacekeeper mm. between Santana and Zavala, whereas usually, like, when, when, when something happens around home plate, it's a pitcher hitting a batter and the catcher has to get in the way, so it was a little bit of a role reversal. And, and Kopech, I thought, you know, hats off to him for... Bouncing back after that interruption, especially since he got heated at a time like I was kind of uh, worried about Griffal leaving him in and being like, eh, maybe it's a good time to go to the bullpen. 
you know, get some warm-up pitches in for a guy, bring him in fresh, versus having Kopech trying to come down off an adrenaline rush when he's nearing 100 pitches. Then he had another delay after the challenge on the dropped ball on the exchange on the force out at second. They had to hang around there too. So Kopech did a really good job. One of like, you know, getting in the way of Zaval and Santana. And then like, you know, after he got heated, um, calming it down, you know, bringing it down to room temperature and, and getting the rest of the inning done. I was really impressed by that. All right. So with Michael Kopech, as you highlighted, he was good on Sunday and he was catching up and looking at baseball savant. Congratulations to Michael Kopech. He had the best performance out of the White Sox starters for the week. And that is not a very high bar. The White Sox offense has played well this week, and they are playing well so far to start the season, the first 10 games. So we have a good and we got a bad. Where do you want to start, Jim? You want to start with the good or you want to start with the bad? Uh, Let's start with the bad because we started talking good. So we're going to sandwich the bad with good or newsworthy or or, um, neutral to pleasant. All right. The bad is the White Sox pitching. There's no other way to put it, folks. They currently rank 28th in Major League Baseball as a team in ERA. It's a 6.80 team ERA. Opposing teams are hitting 281. They currently lead the American League in walks allowed, hits allowed, and home runs allowed, which is like the deadly trio of categories that you would ever want to lead a league uh, in pitching categories, they allowed 50 runs in six games, and that includes the one run that Michael Kopech only allowed on Sunday, and they allowed five runs on Saturday. That's the good. And, you know, Dylan Cease had himself a good start for the one win against the San Francisco Giants. But Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, uh, and Michael Kopech at his first start of the week on the home opener. They were they had terrible starts, and out of the second starts, Michael Kopech had the best of the second starts. But this is a bit concerning here because, yes, there are some innings and some games, like on Saturday, the bullpen for the White Sox pitched really well. Uh, you had Joe Kelly pitched, uh, put up zeros. You had Kettle Graven put up zeros. Eric Bummer put up zeros. And Ronaldo Lopez allows an oppo taco to Andrew McCutcheon. And Jake Diekman pitches well on Sunday, which I'm afraid my microphone's going to blow up in my face by just saying that. Mm-hmm. But Jake Diekman was terrible on Friday and 50 runs in, in six games. The team has a, again, currently ranks 28th in ERA major league baseball. It just looks like in the second starts here, they were unprepared and this bullpen seems unprepared. Can't have in the first 10 games, Jim. Well, do you want to have the conversation we started having in the playback about uh, my brother texting me and saying, like, is Ethan Katz any good? And being like, yeah, that's a great question to have. I mean, this is not a good 10 game start. I mean, from a pitching coach perspective, because we've given so much heat on hitting coaches. Right. And over the years, we've given White Sox hitting coaches fits because we just did not feel like White Sox hitters were very prepared for the opposing pitcher. And as we got information over the years, Jim, we were right. I mean, they were not Mm -hmm. prepared. They didn't have pregame notes. They didn't have video. Lurie Garcia's on YouTube showing guys on how you can look up videos in a a public resource at YouTube while everybody else has their own internal resources that they connect to their own video database like the White Sox are behind. Yeah, don't forget Jose Abreu's iPad, his famous iPad for Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he had to buy iPads for his teammates. It just... 
feels like in the first 10 games, I maybe it's not even the first 10 games. They pitched well against mm-hmm. Houston. The starters did. It seemed like, I, I don't know what happened. Like, do you have any theories of what happened in Houston to this week between the first starts these guys made and the second starts they well, made? Well, there was some velocity drop. There was a little bit of velocity drop with uh, Cease, uh, who was battling a cold. So that like that was, you know, maybe the explicable one. I guess Clevenger, he was kind of mediocre, but Clevenger is kind of supposed to be mediocre. So I think he's that's kind of a neutral start. But like Lynn, his velocity was down a little bit. Uh, we talked about uh, how his uh, you know cutter, like hitters are beating the cutter to the spots in a way that was Dallas Keuchel-esque uh, to me and, and, and frightened me a little bit. Yeah, it's case in watching those guys and watching Giolito too. Breaking balls were the issue. Clevenger was also the case, although Clevenger just threw a lot of meatball breaking balls. But uh, what's curious to me is like the mm-hmm. breaking balls are not getting a whole lot of chases. You know, the good ones uh, are, yeah, I guess, the the ones that are supposed to go from strike to ball. Not getting the usual amount, like in the comments on the uh, Saturday recap uh, on Sox Machine, uh, AT, uh, the, the user, he went through like the breaking ball since like April 3rd and just noticed that the Sox were getting uh, swing rates of 23% on chase pitches, whereas the league gets 29% on like pitches in the shadow of the zone, 50 or 43% versus the league getting 53%. So you're talking about like nine to 10% differences in what the White Sox are doing with their breaking balls versus others. So uh, it's a case, you know, I talked about uh, with uh, Kopech start talking about sequencing and talking about how pitchers or hitters had been able to see worse versions of the same pitch over and over and either really connect with it or lay off it and, and, and not really have the issue. So that was one theory I had, but otherwise, like, you know, I think it's a mix of some velocity being down, some breaking balls just not being very good. And then you have this hazy middle where, you know, should the White Sox be a little bit more deceptive with how they go about their business? I mean, if they're at 23% for a swing rate against the breaky pitches and in the shadow areas, this is becoming a big thing. And I I have to admit to you, podcast listeners, I have to do a little bit more research because the shadow zones is even terminology that's being used in college baseball and in those college baseball pitching labs in which the type of new visualizations that they are creating as far as pitching charts. They are, they have shadow areas now that pitchers are pitching to. So we talked about pitching into the blue, the cold zones codify provided that type of data. Now teams are creating shadow maps and where you want to live in. If the white Sox are below league average, and that includes Dylan Cease, who has the eighth best expected swing, uh, expected whiff rate uh, after two starts, I am scared if I asked you to narrow that data down to just Kopech, Giolito, Lynn, and Clevenger. Like how well below league average it is. And again, it comes to a preparation thing. Like they were super prepared for Houston. And I thought those four pitched really well. I don't know what happened this week. But when you give up 50 runs in six games... It's hard. You're, you're maybe a little lucky that you went two at four. You give up 50 runs in mm-hmm. a week, you could get, you know, have back to back sweeps, and then you're in a really big hole. It's got to get better this upcoming week as the White Sox go to Minneapolis and they come home against Baltimore. Like those teams have some firepower. You could easily give up another 50 runs if you don't pitch any better. So this is a concern. Like the pitching has to step up, Jim. 
Yeah, I think even with Kopech, you're watching him go about his start on Sunday. Like a lot of the damage he did was with his fastball, which was very good. Like it was mm. a good fastball and the kind of fastball we got used to seeing from him before his knee injury. Uh, thinking back to like the Yankee Stadium start where slider was good. Slider was OK, but like he was just riding that fastball, riding up in the zone. A lot of a lot of jump, a lot of movement, a lot of ride. And it worked really well for him. So that's one, you know aspect to where like you know just breaking ball quality breaking ball sharpness effectiveness uh is something to watch for the other thing i'm watching for uh do you know what the white Sox? and i i haven't found this number i'll have to look it up for the uh updated with uh sunday's game it should look a little bit better after sunday because they only allowed two hits but entering sunday's game uh guess what they've done against lefties this year uh, if you could, if you had to name like an OPS for what lefties have done against the White Sox this year, what would you say? Oh man, based on my gut, nine oh five, thousand twenty one. It's over a three oh four, four nineteen, six oh one are the uh, slash numbers. Oh my god, lefties are getting on base almost forty two percent of the time. Yes. Here's the question after that heavy sigh, a philosophical question between you and I, Jim, and Mm -hmm. our podcast listeners. Is this just a bad week or are we talking about four right-handed starters that do not have the high quality stuff to get lefties out? I'm taking Dylan Cease out of this equation. Dylan Mm -hmm. Cease does. We all know that. But Giolito, Lynn, Clevenger, Kopech, do they just not have the above league average stuff to get lefties out? Giolito should because he's got the changeup. Right. Like we've seen Kopech emphasize the changeup. We've seen Lance Lynn emphasize the curveball in an attempt to try to find swing and miss pitches against lefties. So those are the ones I think are open questions. Giolito, I think, is still trying to figure out like who he is right now like and how much his fastball has to offer and how much his uh, breaking ball can do? His changeup is still his best pitch. So let me actually let me look at those numbers real quick in terms of uh, breaking down. Well, like Gili, trying to figure out who he is, my dude. You're in a contract year. Like yeah. you had, you have to hit the ground running here, or you have to get hot soon. So yeah, Lance Lynn uh, allowing us. Well, both he and Jose Ruiz, uh, 1677 OPSs. Michael Kopech before Sunday was at 14-12. Obviously, only one start, but still. like, Yeah, Giolito, uh, 421 uh, batting average against. No walks, but 790 slugging percentage. Wait, what? A 421 batting average against Giolito from lefties? It, yeah, 8 for 19. Dylan Cease, however, lefties are 0 for 15. That's, that's why I took him out. Yeah, but yeah, just so like basically. Oh my gosh, uh, these numbers are worse. They're so much worse without Cease, Jim. Yeah. Oh man, this is where just like analyzing baseball and being a fan of this team creates stomach pain, podcast listeners. Like, this is bad. This is like fire alarm going off bad. Oh, so. Now we have to hyper-focus when Lucas Giolito faces a lefty. We knew that Lance Lynn was starting to have difficulties against lefties. That's why he was starting to throw some more breaky pitches. 
I don't recall when he was a reliever that Michael Kopech was having issues against lefties. I'd have to double check that back in the day. No. Clevenger, we didn't really know what to expect coming into this year after he finished with San Diego. Yeah. Kopech was more a matter of like, which guy is he? Like, is he the guy who's healthy or the guy who's just getting by? The guy who was healthy had no problems with lefties or like, you know, maybe had maybe lefties were a little bit more successful against him, but not in a meaningful way. Not where you'd say like lefties, you know, stack your lefties against Michael Kopech. But when Kopech did not, you know, was throwing uh, 93, 94 versus 97, 98, then I think it became a little bit more pronounced. I'm worried about this week. Minnesota's got a lot of left-handed batters. Baltimore has a lot of left-handed batters. Oh, they and they they have no time. It's not like they have a day off. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like that's what I noticed with the Houston series versus the San Francisco series. Like San Francisco was pretty much uh, you know army lineup, left right, left right, left right. Uh, so there was always a lefty you know, around the corner. Even if they got past one, then there'd be another one right on deck. So, and all Houston had was Alvarez and. Tucker, which they're yeah. great. And, and, and we talked damage. about that. They could get them out. The yeah. White Sox could not get Alvarez and Tucker out. Oh, this is like, uh, I'm. this is a light bulb going off, but not like a bright light bulb. Like I got this brilliant idea. The light bulb is black. It's a storm cloud. We're 10 games into the season and the White Sox pitchers can't get left-handed hitters out unless their name is Dylan Cease. I thought it was a light bulb during a hangover. Oh, gosh. I'm awake and it sucks. <laughs> oh, this scares me. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right, so we know what to look forward to this upcoming week. Because, mm-hmm. again, the Twins, they got left-handed hitters. We'll talk about that series later in the show. Baltimore's got some left-handed power. They got to figure it out. They got to figure it out. They got to figure out how to get left-handed hitters out. Wow. So the White Sox have a severe problem facing left-handed batters. Let's talk about some good. The Mm -hmm. White Sox are absolutely destroying anyone that throws the ball left-handed. Like, they continue to destroy. Jake Berger, especially, against any left-handed pitcher right now. If you're a left-handed starter, you should be scared of Jake Berger. Like, he is just crushing pitches right now against lefties, which is great to see as he fill, helps it fill in the void of Eloy Jimenez being on the injured list. And Gavin Sheets picked up three more singles. He's not hitting for power, but he's doing a good job getting on base. Uh, so he helped. he's helping out on that end as far as the DH platoon the White Sox have while Eloy's out. But, you know, with all this bad, this is why it's aggravating. The White Sox scored 36 runs this week, even though they got shot out on Sunday, Jim. Mm-hmm. When you're averaging six runs a game during a six-game stretch, you're going to win more than you than any losses that you have during that time frame. Like, the winning percentage is definitely above 60% when you score six or more runs in, in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, and that's for all teams. So that's why it's a little disappointing because the offense has been there. And something that really jumped out at me, and we talked about Luis Robert and his defense uh, during the watch party Right now on Fangraphs, before the Sunday games, Luis Robert was third overall in war to start the season. He was already at 0.9 war. He did not play on Sunday. The guy that was leading all of Major League Baseball to start the season, Adam Duvall, 
was at 1.1 war, but he just suffered a wrist injury for the Boston Red Sox in their series sweep against the Detroit Tigers. So we'll see on how long Adam Duvall is going to be out. But Robert, and I know Makata got a little cold on Saturday and Sunday, but Makata's been hitting well. Anderson's been hitting well. The White Sox rank eighth in team OPS to start the season. They are running wild. They're 13 for 13 in stolen bases. Yeah, they don't walk that much, but they're still compiling a lot of hits. Yeah, they don't hit a lot of home runs. They just have 10, but they have got 26 doubles. They are one of the league leaders in that category. This offense has been good for the White Sox to start. In my opinion, they've looked better in the first 10 games here in 2023 than some stretches we saw in 2022. Like, I see improvement. Also, stealing bases, like, haven't been thrown out yet. Like, there is an identity to this team. Like, when they had the uh, AL Central winning year under Tony La Russa in 2021, they had an identity. Uh, they hit lefties well, and while it's, you know, we, we saw with the Astros series that, like, you have to hit righties as well, there were at least games where you felt like you knew what they are going to do. And uh, last year, just, like, with the way they were just persistently 500, uh, and you they would find creative ways to get down or up to 500, and sometimes it would be, like, pitching really well, uh, offense disappears, uh, sometimes it was hitting really well, uh, pitching disappears. Um, you know, it was hard to know, like, you know, you couldn't count on the team doing anything well at any one point to get over the hump. So I think like they're back to having the identity when Anderson's healthy, uh, and running the way he should, like he gives them a stolen base threat to lead the way and others start running behind him. So that's good. And I like seeing that. So, you know, and, and we saw, as you mentioned, with Jake Berger complimenting Gavin Sheets, they have a DH, which they haven't had in previous seasons uh, to a steady degree. Uh, so there are things working here. The thing that jumped out to me and to kind of go back into a negative, but hopefully this is also somewhat of a positive, is that like Yohan Mankata last two games, bat seems like it's slowing down a little bit, like grounders to the right side, pop-ups to the left side. Maybe a little bit of a slump, maybe time's a little bit off, but like... If he gets back on track, offense looks different. So it does seem like it key like there are more functioning pieces to where like you don't need three or four guys getting into gear to have a functioning offense. Like sometimes just one bat away. Or like you know, in, in, in the case of like, you know, it was a weird game with you know, the the Andrews not hit by pitch. You know, Romy Gonzalez hitting a screamer to the first baseman. They had some like weird uh you know, poor luck things while getting shut out. You know, there are cases where like even though this was a frustrating loss in the context of not getting the 500, having a lost week against the giants and pirates, like in a, like say mid June, if the white Sox were five games over 500, a couple games out of first place. And you had kind of a sense of what they were. It would be so like, Oh, that was a tough luck loss. Uh, so, you know, so far the offense has been pretty watchable and here's hoping that Mancata, you know, just hasn't run out of steam already or like is, you know, still right. susceptible to having, feeling good hot streaks and feeling off cold streaks and the just steadiness of his above averageness is still proving elusive. The White Sox against righties to start the season are hitting 277, 331 on base percentage, and they're slugging 408. Now you may say, I wish the White Sox hit for more power. Yes, I, I am with you. But right now they rank 14th in Major League Baseball in team OPS against right-handed pitching. That's improvement, especially from the last couple of seasons. 
for the White Sox, especially since the 2022 season against left-handed pitching. Mm -hmm. And I just bring these numbers up because they're a bit on the comical side. The White Sox as a team are hitting 325 against left-handed pitching, a 373 on base percentage, and they're slugging 558. That's a 931 OPS against left-handed pitching. That's the second best mark in Major League Baseball behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Los Angeles Angels, I should say. I apologize to the Dodgers. So yeah, they're still crushing left-handed pitching and they're hitting right-handed pitching better. And as you mentioned, Jim, and I mentioned as well, they're perfect in stolen bases. While we're waiting for the home runs and we're hoping to see some power coming from more. And we did see a little bit from Oscar Colas. He had his first career home run. Luis Roberts got four of the team's 10 home runs. When they're on base, they're in they're in motion, as you mentioned, Jim. And maybe using speed to bridge the gap until the power starts coming through for the entire lineup is not a terrible strategy, especially if they continue to run this well. Yeah, I think, you know, the the one weakness with that is like Andrew Vaughn has one of the best OBPs. He's not going to be running. Gavin Sheets, OBP of 526 uh, with this recent three-hit game. Like, he's not going to be running... Uh, Yasmani Grandal, he's been hot and cold. Like he's been one of those erratic performers. He's uh, not going to be running. So some of the guys who are more consistent getting on base are the ones who clog the base a little bit and and lead to having to uh, come up with three singles in an inning, which is never the easiest thing to ask. So that's why I think you know the power needs to come around. Hopefully, you know Benintendi's another guy where the power isn't quite there yet. He's running a little bit, but uh, you know. We're hoping guaranteed rate field can help uh, boost his power numbers a little bit. We'll see how it goes, but it's not a bad start. Like even their frustrating outings, like, you know, getting shut down uh, against Oviedo on Sunday, getting calmed down by Jacob Junis after they lit up Alex Wood and were giving him a really hard time. Like Junis comes in, throws like mostly sliders and they look befuddled. There are still moments of uh, they're swinging over righty sliders that do bring back bad memories of seasons past, but they've at least been able to counter that. Like Vince Velasquez, like when he came out in the first inning throwing a pretty decent slider and and getting some swings and misses, I was like, oh no, if, if Velasquez holds him down, this is a this is going to be a tough recap, right? This is going to be a tough uh, playback to go through. And they figured him out. He also might've hurt himself a little bit, but he was also like, right. He started missing. They started hitting and Vince Velasquez looked like the uh, low leverage arm that he was with the white Sox. So, you know, they have these moments of, yeah, they're still kind of right hand, especially when Moncada isn't quite feeling it to where they do look as susceptible as ever to good right hand pitching. But they've also had games where that hasn't been the issue and they just haven't pitched well enough to make you feel good about the success that they've yeah. had against a right-handed pitcher. With the conversation we just had about the pitching, hopefully the offense continues to hit. They got to stay hot this week. Try to give as much run support as possible to this White Sox pitching staff until eat the cats and the pitchers figure out what in the world is going on. Again, if they get scored 36 runs in this week, they have six more games. If they get scored 36 runs, they average six runs a game. That should be good enough, Jim, to have a winning week. And the White Sox need to have a winning week because after this week, it's Philadelphia comes into town and they're starting to play better baseball. Tampa Bay on the road. I mean, I'm just about to put three losses right now with the way that the Rays (laughs) have been playing. I know. I get it. Look at the teams they played. The teams are not very good, but this is Major League Baseball. If you have a stretch of nine games like that, 
you never think about going nine and zero. You never think about going nine and zero, and you win every single game by four or more runs. Like they are just absolutely dominating. One of the best starts we've seen in recent memory. By the way, like I think the Tampa Bay Rays are at pace to hit more than four hundred home runs this season. I think they got like twenty four home runs in nine games, and the pitching yeah. has been outstanding. Everything is working for the Tampa Bay Rays to start this season. They're winning their game by an average of six and a third runs per game. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then, so after that series of Tampa, you're still on the road. You go to Toronto. That's not going to be easy. And then you come home and you got a four game home series against the Rays. And that's how April ends. So again, this week, that's why it's so disappointing for the White Sox to go two at four. Because on paper, this was supposed to be the easy week for the Chicago White Sox. The offense scored 36 runs during this week. They averaged six runs a game despite getting shut out on Sunday. That should be good enough to at least go three and three or go four and two. But when the pitching staff gives up 50 runs in six games, that's not going to cut it. And they got a big series now this upcoming week, Monday through Wednesday, as they head to Minneapolis. Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, we preview the White Sox and Twins on the Sox Machine Podcast. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I can be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox with She podcast. All right, the Chicago White Sox head up to Minneapolis to Target Field to face the Minnesota Twins. The Twins won their series against the Houston Astros, even though they lost on Sunday uh, as the Astros fought off being swept. The Astros are not starting off very well either. They're currently four and six on the season along with the Chicago White Sox, but the twins are six and three. And what's really surprising Jim to start this season is how well Minnesota is pitching right now. They have a team ERA of 2.48. It's like the complete opposite of the White Sox. The twins are second best in major league baseball. And when you split it even further, the starting pitching, after everyone gave grief for everyone grandstand, it said, I like the White Sox rotation better. The Twins don't have an ace. They got a bunch of number threes, Pablo Lopez, and Joe Ryan, and Sonny Gray, and Tyler Molly, and Kenta Maeda. Like, that's not that strong of a rotation. Well, they are proving a lot of people wrong. As a rotation Two times through the order, they have a starter ERA of 2.24. That's the second best in Major League Baseball. I was concerned about their bullpen, and the bullpen has been pitching very well for the Twins. They have a 2.93 ERA. That's seventh in Major League Baseball. And for the probable pitchers in this series for the White Sox, on Monday, good news, Dylan Cease. And this is a weird start time. It's 1.10 p.m. Central Time. But it is Kenta Maeda making the start for the Twins. Tuesday, Lance Lynn against Pablo Lopez. Two starts for Pablo Lopez. One earned run. Five hits allowed. Four walks. He has suddenly become a strikeout artist. He has 16 strikeouts in his first two starts of the year. His ERA 0.73. Sonny Gray, two starts this year. One earned run. He has a 0.75 ERA. He is starting the Wednesday getaway game for the Twins, and that's going to be at 12, 10 p.m. Central Time, and he's going up against Lucas Giolito. And, Jim, that's the big storyline coming into this series. We just talked minutes upon minutes about the White Sox pitching really struggling. Now they go to Minneapolis against a Twins team, which the pitching has been on fire for the Minnesota Twins to start this season. I just think it really exposes these two rotations right away. I mean, I'm not concerned about Dylan Cease against Kenta Maeda, but Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, you got a tough test on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, it is the case of right-handed pitchers and left-handed bats against right-handed White Sox starters. It very much puts these things in stark relief. Um, one guy I'm interested in watching is Joey Gallo. Um, just because we've talked about him plenty, uh, whether it's on the podcast, more on the on uh, the site, just because of off-season plan projects and trade ideas and whatnot. But like he's off to a good start, and uh, you know I've never really liked watching him. Uh, I think he's just a, a three, you know, the three Troutcom guy, and especially the guys who think like one sixty is just you know to me it's like a perverted form of you know, a three true outcome chasing that is just not fun to watch. And if everybody followed his lead, like nobody would watch baseball, uh, which is why I've just warned against him. But like, he's so far like, uh, you know, eight thirty three slugging three homers. Uh, you know, he's drawn a couple walks. So it looks like he's, you know, swinging the bat a little bit more. You know, maybe not just, you know, resorting to, uh, walks and swinging through a lot of strikes and getting into those deep counts. So, 
like I'm interested to see him against all, you know, White Sox righties. Like we should see a lot of him and that could be a good litmus test for like, is he somebody to fear when, when the twins picked him up? I thought like, yeah, I'm not really buying him. And also like, can the White Sox get out a flawed lefty, but one who, if you make a mistake against him can hit the ball a long way. And the other lefty, that I'm circling for the twins. Cause to your point, Gallo's five for 18 Four of the five hits have gone for extra bases, three homers and a double for Joey Gallo. The other one that I'm circling is Trevor Larnock mm-hmm. and Larnock was on the same Oregon state team with Nick magical and Adley Rushman that won the national championship. And I've always liked his type of play and to start the season, he's played all nine games for the Minnesota Twins, and he is off to a good start, hitting 324, a .439 on base percentage as he's already walked seven times this season. He has just one home run and a triple out of his 11 hits, so his slugging percentage is 471, but he continues to move the line for the Minnesota Twins. So back to our earlier conversation, these are the two guys to really circle for the White Sox pitchers that if they're struggling this much against lefties, Joey Gallo and Trevor Larnock could really hurt the Chicago White Sox, but you still have to be mindful of Byron Buxton, who always hits the White Sox really well. It seems Mm -hmm. like Carlos Correa is off to a really, really slow start. He's hitting 182 with a 250 on base percentage, slugging 242. You do not want him to get hot in this series. You just don't want to like, if you could continue to get these righties out like they did against Houston and you could try to formulate a better game plan, like Joey Gallo and Trevor Larnock are not on the same level as Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. If Lynn and Giolito could have better game plans against those two in particular, and they could minimize the damage that Byron Buxton does. I see a pathway for the white Sox in winning this series. But if what we just discovered while recording this episode, Jim, still holds true and Gallo and Larnock are still doing massive damage as the left-handed bats of the Twins lineup, I'm really worried about this series. Yeah, Twins have been below average so far against right-handed pitching, so there is at least that. Um, Looking at their splits uh, as an offense, uh, like 21st of 30, I believe. Let me go back. Uh, to see the damage here. So like, you know, as you mentioned, Korea getting off to a slow start, Max Kepler getting off to a slow start. They've been imperfect uh, offensively and, and not getting the contributions from everybody, but they've done enough and they've pitched well enough. Uh, and, and the thing about the Twins pitching is not necessarily that they can't be good. It's just to me, the injuries are what I, th- I think they have kind of like a low ceiling based on talent themselves and they haven't been available all that much like Maeda has been hurt. Gray has been kind of iffy. Uh, you know, Molly came over and then he got hurt uh, with the twins. So he didn't give them what they needed after deadline. Joe Ryan has been somebody who's like two times through, but can he get a third time through? So they've had a problem getting innings from guys, but to start a season, like I can see them starting out hot, uh, just more a matter of can their arms hold up. And if they don't, does Rocco Baldelli have another solution if they can only go five, which has been the issue before, like, Asking a lot of a bullpen, asking a lot of relievers who start uh, floundering a little bit and, you know, they're down to like, you know, two high leverage guys and a whole bunch of low leverage guys in the bullpen. So it does seem like they're still asking that same pitching mix of their staff. But so far, the starters come out hot and uh, yeah, only 24 runs allowed 
in nine games. The White Sox have allowed 67 and 10. So there you go. Yeah. And so it goes back to the White Sox offense. Can they cool off the Twins pitching? Can they figure out a way to put runs together against the Minnesota Twins to help the White Sox win this series? So it's like every opportunity they get with runners in scoring position, they have to capitalize. And right now, when it comes to runners in scoring position, like the game is finding Oscar Colas a lot. And he has his highlights. We've seen him come through. The game's also coming a lot to Elvis Andrews. This breaks my heart because Elvis Andrews is one of the White Sox hitters that's not starting the season well. His OPS is below 400. And it has me a bit concerned because I've already seen some people putting up Lenin Sosa highlights with, with how he's starting in Charlotte and already asking as we are April 10th, should the White Sox DFA Elvis Andrews? See, the White Sox have started this slippery slope. You know, all mm-hmm. these DFAs, they DFA'd Louis Garcia, they DFA'd Jose Ruiz, and he gets traded to Arizona for cash considerations. Now it's just a slippery slope. Like, why why stop now? Like, just keep DFAing guys that aren't good. Uh, so we're going to continue to having this conversation, even though I have a steak dinner bet, and I still want to believe in Elvis Andrews, but he needs to make an adjustment. It, there's a lot of pressure in this series, in my opinion, on Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, and the White Sox bullpen. They cannot fail. Mm-hmm. They cannot fail. There's a lot of pressure on the White Sox offense. You still have to figure out a way to generate offense against these right-handed pitchers, especially against Lopez and Gray. They've done it against Gray last year. They, they've done it. They can put runs together. They're going to have to figure it out, especially Tuesday and Wednesday. Those are the games I'm most concerned about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Mankata does. Uh, this is the kind of series where his regenerated left-handed bat should be able to make a difference, but if it shows up like it did last two games, the Pittsburgh series, um, they could still be wanting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing his bats or maybe not looking forward to them, depending on which version shows up. But um, that seems to be have been a pattern early on in terms of how watchable the White Sox are against good or okay right-handed pitching. If he's there, like they look like a different lineup. If he's absent or the bat's looking slow, um, he adds the frustration. Yeah, Ben Attendee. I mean, in those games, White Sox are going to be mostly left-handed. Ben Attendee and Grandal and Sheets and Coloss. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody already going through the lineup. Ben Attendee, Makata. That's who I was missing. Ben Attendee, Makata, yeah. Grandal, Sheets, Coloss. Five of the nine hitters are going to be left-handed. Hopefully, the platoon advantage comes through. Like, those guys have to come through. For the White Sox. And obviously, you know, Tim Anderson, the way that he's been performing and Luis Robert, I'm sure is going to play all three games. He's not going to get a rest day in this series. The offense, again, it's asking a lot of the White Sox offense. The White Sox offense has to also come through and help out the pitching staff. I'm more confident in the White Sox offense putting up runs than I am in the White Sox ability to shut down the Twins offense, even though the Twins offense hasn't been hitting on all cylinders like their pitching staff is. But I think there's a path in the White Sox winning this series. But it is, again, it is Minneapolis. You really never know. It could be great, and we're super excited Wednesday night when we have Sox Machine Live, Jim, we recap the series. Or we are incredibly dour because they just got swept in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been down that path before. 
Indeed. Um, that's why this is so traumatizing when the White Sox have a four and six start, but like failing some of the ways we've seen them fail it and, you know, not having the benefit of like a new front office to say like, let's see what they do. Um, we've lived with this front office for so long, a lot of the organizational infrastructure for so long that sometimes it does become easy to call it early um, because they just, you know, they, they stick with the guys they stick with and don't overhaul it enough, run it back too much with guys who, you know, create a flawed product the year before. So it is a big week, big month, you know, overall, but I think, you know, Griffal talking about like how he focuses and, you know, five to 10 day increments, like makes sense because, uh, uh, the season can get away from you. If you start looking at like, Oh, this month, the rest of this month is really tough. Like, it's better just to look at it like two series at a time. Yeah, and well, if you want to go week by week, so you had your opening weekend, you went two and two. We thought that was good in Houston. Second week of the year, you go two and four. Not good. I, I'm hoping the White Sox go at least three and three this week. It, it's a tough week. The Twins and the Orioles, they're they're good teams. This is this is a tough week for the White Sox. So they definitely have to step up their play from what we saw this previous week. One programming note, Jim and I, along with our friends from the 108 Cherizy Beef Loaf of My Sox Summer, we will have another watch party Tuesday night for the Lance Lynn against Pablo Lopez for the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. We're going to start that watch party at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. You could be able to find the link on SoxMachine.com to join us. It's a fun time. I'm really appreciative for all of those that joined us on Sunday. We're getting great responses as well. We are happy that you guys are enjoying watching the game along with us so you'll get another opportunity if you haven't so far this year tuesday night again we'll start our live stream at 6 30 for the watch party first pitch is going to be at 6 40 p.m central time and that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast thank you guys so much for listening again we'll have the white Sox wake up calls this week and we'll have Sox machine live which will stream that show live on our youtube channel at youtube.com slash machine and also on SoxMachine.com to recap the Minnesota Twins series and preview the upcoming series against the Baltimore Orioles at home. The weather is going to be absolutely beautiful in Chicago this week. We have a chance to hit 80 degrees on Thursday and Friday in Chicago. So hopefully with the weather being warm, we could see some really good offense at home in that home series against the Baltimore Orioles. So that's what you can look forward to in the upcoming days as far as on the multimedia facet for Sox Machine. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We do upload the podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And those are also our Instagram accounts as well so if you do have instagram follow us there we'd like to put up pictures and videos as well of our work on instagram if you enjoy our work and want more you can get more by becoming a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine where our patreon supporters get exclusive content such as the po socks mailbag that jim does they also get ad-free versions of the podcast of the website and when we have new socks machine swag they're the first ones to receive it Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.